You forget one thing, and man, the lynch mob rides into town. <laughs> I think I probably said sit down. I, I, I might be wrong. Let me urge you to be praying for those sinful neighbors you have invited. <laughs> we, uh, I do hope this marks a turnaround in our country. Uh, I don't know of any bigger evangelical outreach in my lifetime than what's going to go on today. 1,900 churches have signed up to receive this simulcast that's going to go out. And we're just one little part in one little corner of America. So maybe, prayerfully, it will impact our nation. This morning we're in Genesis chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 24. It's been interesting for me to go through Genesis. Uh, we have things, we have principles being put down, laid down by God that will carry throughout His Word all the way through the book of Revelation. So... They're good principles. But in verse 13 of chapter 4, we hear Cain declaring to God, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Self-pity happens to fill Cain's mind. It's in his conscience. And somehow you get the feeling that he's overlooking the fact that he murdered his brother. One verse later, we hear Cain de declare that he's afraid of himself being murdered. But with Cain, we have a, a, a vivid picture of selfishness. Cain says, my punishment is more than I can bear. Self-pity now dominates Cain's thinking. Cain is not, or he doesn't seem to show any remorse whatsoever for killing his brother, or not even to be sorry that his brother's dead. But carry that a little further. Cain has no sorrow or pity for his parents because Cain is killed their other son. Sin has brought Cain to the point of extreme selfishness where only himself matters in any regards about anything. And we have the thing that God talked about. Sin desires to rule over you, Cain. Well, it has and it does for sin does now rule over Cain, and it rules over him completely. For we read now that Cain has no regard or love for anyone but himself. There's a beautiful contrast to that, because Cain is like we were before we met Jesus, before Christ came into our life. When a person becomes born again, 
becomes a Christian, we become a new creature in Christ. All things become new. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. When Jesus enters a life, we become a new creation. That's the power of God. That's the power of salvation. We as Christians are to take on the very persona of Christ. Paul says it this way, all things have become new. You know, you don't have to tell a new believer now that you've become a Christian, we want you to be caring for others. That's automatic. Immediately, a new Christian becomes caring for others. You don't have to tell them to adjust their attitude because their attitude is probably really good at that time. You cannot have Jesus Christ in your life without him changing you. When Christ enters a life, loving others takes on a whole new meaning. Which, when you think about it, makes Cain's answer to God when he said, am I my brother's keeper? Doesn't that reveal his heart? Doesn't that tell you exactly where Cain is? And it does. It reveals how separated Cain is from God. And in verses 13 and 14, we have Cain's response to God. My punishment is greater than I can bear. And he says, surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond. And anyone who sees me will kill me. You kind of notice the personal pronouns there, don't you? <laughs> I and me and anyone wants to kill me. Uh, that's sort of like if you've ever done marriage counseling. <laughs> personal pronouns abound in marriage counseling. Anybody that does any marriage counseling hears things like, he or she doesn't love me. My needs are not being met. I am not happy. And right there, you know what you're dealing with. <laughs> you, you can't tell them that, but you know what you're dealing with, right? You're just dealing with a very self-centered person. But Cain, he now finds himself opposing God. And it's revealed in his answers, in his words to God, because our words reveal our heart. Because we're, we read that out of the abundance of the heart, heart, the mouth speaks. And that's so true. So the, the thing to do is keep your heart pure before God. And when you keep your heart pure, you will find yourself proclaiming the beautiful 
attributes and virtues of God. And you will be proclaiming his goodness to those around you. And that only verifies that, in fact, you are a new creature. <laughs> so let's read today's passage, Genesis 4, verse 16 through 24. And if I happen to mispronounce some of these names, they're not names of your children, so don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch there was born Irad, and Irad begot Meusiel, and Mujel begot Methusiel, and Methusiel begot Lamech. I told you I'd get through them. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. And Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naama. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech, 77-fold. Quite a passage. Verse 16, we have Cain going out from the presence of God. Cain's punishment, part of his punishment, is to depart from God's presence. In Jesus' ministry, in the early part of his ministry, he was teaching about his kingdom. And in Luke 13, 24, Jesus says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Many will claim, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But Jesus will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me all you workers of iniquity. That same teaching, of course, is repeated in the book of Matthew. Cain happened to be the first person that had to depart from the presence of God. Adam and Eve, they had to depart from Eden. But Cain has to depart from the presence of God. Jesus tells all believers, if you're a Christian, he makes us a good promise. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is one of those things we almost take for granted. But what a blessing that is, that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And then he says, and wherever you are, I am there in your midst. And when we gather together in a group like we are here this morning, Jesus says, I'm here. You're my people. My spirit's here. I am here. And God the Father is here. 
And that's so comforting. That's good to know. But for Cain, it's a physical address change. Cain must leave the area of Eden. He must leave where dad and mom, where he himself and where Abel have made their offerings to God. Cain will now be exposed to a whole new godless existence that awaits him. As a young man, as a rebellious young man myself, I turned my back on God. Born in a Christian home, got saved when I was a young guy. I never stopped believing in God's existence. That was never a question in my mind. But I no longer found a place of dedication and worship to God in my life. You look for illustrations to describe how you lived. And for me, it was kind of like a quiet little lake, and I'm a speedboat going across it, just causing wakes and waves and regrets one after another. I was out there doing my own thing, and God was not a part of it. Was I arrogant? Beyond words. My pride was boundless. For God had been very faithful to me as a young man, and he had showed me his will and his plan for my life at that time. My response was, no thank you, God. I didn't want any part of it. And as I continued my rebellious path, which was one personal disaster after another, I came to fully understand. I really came to understand that the way of the transgressor is hard. That's a cold, hard lesson to learn. I had a lot of Jonah in me. I was trying to run from God and run from his will for my life. Like I said, I never doubted God's existence. I never, you know, said, well, God, if you exist. No, for me, that was a given. I just wanted to live my life for me. And like Cain, I was out there away from the presence of God. <clears throat> and I found out that it's a lonely, cruel world out there. Sometimes if you've been a Christian for a few years, you forget how lonely it was before you came to Christ. I remember those lonely days. But Cain, he's been forced to depart from God, and he goes eastward, towards the land of Nod. Now, Nod simply means wanderings. Nod is not a place as much as it is a condition. He's in a state of wandering. Cain gets married. Does he marry a sister? Perhaps, maybe even a niece. Yeah, he had to. <laughs> it's that simple. Later on, marrying a sister is forbidden, but at the time of Cain's marriage, the bloodlines are very, very pure. And Cain 
also has children, and we just read of some of the Bagats. That's a peculiar name, Bagats. But anyway, Cain is said to have built a city. Many believe that Cain is simply trying to avoid the wanderings that has been his punishment, and he's trying to avoid being a vagabond, the punishment that has been given to him by God himself. But we have there the Hebrew word for built is what we call indefinite, meaning Cain was building, or he was in the process of building. And the verbiage in these verses indicate Enoch, whom the cities are named after, is the one who finished building the cities. And he probably named them Enochville or Enochburg or something like that. But then we have Cain's children, the major descendants of Cain, and they're listed. Lamech has the distinction of being the first Canaanite who openly rebels against God. Lamech is the first polygamist. Apparently, Lamech's wives are gorgeous. He named of the name of one was Adah, which means ornament, and Zillah means shade, and they think it was probably because she had such beautiful hair that it shaded her. And we have, with Lamech, lust springing up, showing its ugly head. And it's demonstrated by the fact that his multiple wives are beautiful. However, Lamech's children are quite successful. They're craftsmen, they're herdsmen, and they're skillful in their trades. Lamech is the seventh generation removed from Adam. And Lamech uh, sings a song or a, he, he quotes a poem, and he directs it towards his wives. That's a little peculiar right there. And in verse 23 and 24, we have what we call Lamech's boast of having killed a man because he wounded him or hurt him. And that that's kind of comes out of nowhere, you know. Uh, a rant, and he is ranting and boasting to his wives. And anyone that reads this passage, what's up with Lamech? What brought all this on? Many commentators suggest that Lamech is issuing a warning to his wives that they had better be faithful to him. Apparently, Lamech has killed somebody who has been making advances towards his beautiful wives. And apparently... His beautiful wives have not totally rejected these advances from these men. Thus we have this boastful warning rant of Lamech. Lamech knows his history, though. 
for his great, 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 great grandfather, who was Cain, six generations removed, Cain has been told that God would avenge him sevenfold. And Lamech says, I will be avenged 77-fold. There's one big error in this boast, however. God has declared the sevenfold retribution for anyone that kills Cain. Lamech declares his own 77-fold vengeance upon anybody that would do him wrong. And so what do we have there? We have the first trash-talking example in man. I'm really mean. I'm really bad. You don't want to mess with me. And with Lamech, we have lustful promiscuity beginning, and it seems to be running amok. The world has rapidly changed in these seven generations. Groups or clans or, of people are coming together. They're building cities, and they're doing this for the ease and comfort of life. And all the changes that are taking place in man are not good changes. Lamech, he lusts after his beautiful wives. Now he's caught into striving to keep them. He's issuing threats to try to keep them at home and keep them loyal to him. And just perhaps, just putting this out there, perhaps polygamy is not such a good idea. God's plan, one man, one woman for life, happens to be far superior. Cain has been forced out of the presence of God as punishment for murdering Abel. And now, mankind, Cain's descendants, are becoming very selfish, very self-absorbed, very lustful in their thinking. And here's the trouble with lustful thinking. Lustful thinking and lustful desires require men and women to be separated, cast away from the presence of God. Not long ago, I was reading a, a little newspaper magazine type article and it stated that 87% of the young people that are raised in this certain denomination, a very large denomination, leave the church as young adults to never return. 87%. And we're talking about a Christian denomination. Now we can fault the denomination, we can point fingers all day long, but the tragic truth of that situation is disaster, spiritual disaster awaits for any of us who depart from the presence of God. Any of us. Our departure can come through extremely heavy work schedules. Our employers for forcing way too many hours upon us. It can come through 
seeking refuge in recreation and, and pleasure, thinking, I need a little break. I worked so hard all week, I need a little break. And we can find ourselves separating from God. And I know some of you people, and I know some of your work schedules, and I know that your demands on you by your employer are not even legit. But I say to you, guard your heart. Guard your heart and your time. Understand this and cherish this truth. God desires a relationship with each and every one of us. Now, I think we are to enjoy life. I, I think that's a given. We are to just try to make life as pleasant as we can. But you're also to enjoy God's fellowship with you, for he created you for fellowship with him. And departing from God or putting God on the back burner of your life happens to be a position that God will not allow. He will not play second fiddle to any man. He just won't. Have you seen the little church signs or bumper sticker that said, if God is your co-pilot, change positions? <laughs> I kind of like that. <laughs> you know, let him be pilot. But we're to guard our hearts. God required Cain to depart from him. Cain ends up declaring, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And we have a loving and gracious God, no one can deny that, who openly cherishes a relationship with us. But we are the ones, us Christians are the ones that benefit from a relationship with our God. We're the ones who lose out when we must depart. And the only thing that can make us depart from the presence of God is continued, unrepented of sin. And you reach a point where God says, you must depart. For our God is holy. He is pure, he is righteous, and he requires that we, his people, be holy. A relationship with our Lord God is the most precious thing any of us have. Guard it, guard it. Don't let anything take that away from you. I'll close with that and let's pray. Let me get you to stand. Father God, you have been so gracious to allow us to simply confess our sins, repent of our sins, and immediately our relationship with you is restored. Lord, we never want to purposefully sin, but we want to be quick to repent. We want to be quick to run to you and ask you to restore our relationship with you. Lord, we never want to hear 
Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Lord God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. And Lord, again, we pray for this day. We pray that many souls would come into your kingdom, Lord. By your spirit, draw those that need salvation to yourself. We pray for those, those that we know, those that we've invited. We just pray that uh, things will go well here tonight. We pray that we will see personally many souls come into your kingdom. So we pray for this now, and we ask for this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay.